Hello and welcome to December's edition of Ulysses Neuro Podcast. My name is Eva Thornton and I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Trinity College Dublin. I'm joined today by my colleague Carol. Hi Carol. Hi. My name is Carolina Le Pasquale. I'm the Patient Insight Manager at Ulysses Neuroscience and I'm delighted to be here today talking about this very important topic. Thanks, Carol. So uh, yes, this month's episode is focused on addiction with an emphasis on substance abuse. We chose to focus on this topic for December as December is a month that can be difficult for people with mental health issues and a history of trauma, especially childhood trauma. And it is the most dangerous time of the year for drug and alcohol related accidents and deaths. Addiction is a chronic brain disease that manifests itself as a dependency on substances or behavior. It is characterized by engaging in compulsive behavior despite negative consequences, combined with preoccupation and cravings. The focus of addiction is something, substance or activity that has the characteristics of being rewarding and reinforcing. Addiction combines both dependency and abuse. Addiction can be to a substance such as alcohol or drugs or to behavior such as gambling. I'm going to quote some statistics now, which are taken from the National Drug and Substance Abuse Survey, which was conducted by the Health Research Board in 2019-2020. So it reported that almost three quarters of the population in Ireland drink alcohol. This is not a surprising figure. However, the prevalence of alcohol use disorder in the general population is 14.8%, which which equates to one in five drinkers having a problem with alcohol. 40% of drinkers engage in heavy episodic drinking at least once per month, with 23% once a week. Heavy episodic drinking is classified as over six drinks on a single occasion, and it is particularly high among young people. Men are more likely to abuse alcohol. According to this survey, there has been no change in the prevalence of illegal drug use since the survey was carried out in 2014-2015, with 7.4% of respondents reporting recent drug use. However, there has been a change in the type of drug used with a reduction in cannabis um, reported and an increase in the use of ecstasy, cocaine, poppers and LSD. The survey also found that those who reported illegal drug use were more likely to report use of at least two drugs. Men are more likely to report illicit drug use. So Carol is going to tell us a little about the impact addiction can have on someone. Thank you, Aoife. All types of addiction affect a person's brain function and behavior, and they can take control of their day-to-day life. Addiction affects people in completely different ways, and it often impacts their relationships, their work life, studies, physical and mental well-being, behavior, and how they think and feel. Signs and symptoms of drug addiction include having intense urges for the drug, feeling that they have to use the drug regularly, over time building a tolerance and needing more, spending money on the drug even though they can't afford it, and failing in the attempts to to stop taking the drugs and experiencing withdrawal when they attempt to stop taking it. Substance abuse is a mental health disorder, but it incurs in a lot of societal stigma. 
as the focus from institutions is often on how it impacts society, but rarely is it talked about as a brain disorder and mental health issue as it should. Many mistakenly think that those who use drugs lack moral principles or willpower, and that they could stop their drug use simply by choosing to. In reality, drug addiction is a complex disease and quitting usually takes a lot more than good intentions or a strong will. While initial use is generally voluntary, though it can be driven by an attempt to self-medicate physical or mental, or mental distress, drugs cause long-lasting changes to the brain that make quitting hard, relapse likely, and can even trigger further mental health disorders. A combination of biological, environmental, and de developmental factors has an impact on the likelihood of developing addiction, further brain disorders, and on the chances of su successful recovery. So it is a very complex issue. It's not as straightforward as a lot of people seem to think. Thanks, Carol. Um, I completely agree with that. Um, so at this point, I would like to welcome our guest today, Brendan Tracy. So Brendan is struggling with addiction for 20 years. His main drugs of choice were heroin, crack cocaine, and benzodiazepines. He has been sober now for 11 months. And as Carla said, similar to several chronic diseases and mental health disorders, addiction is a lifelong disorder and treatment is ongoing. We are so grateful to have Brendan here with us today to tell us about his story. Welcome, Brendan, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aoife. Thank you, Carol. I'm very grateful to be part of this podcast and to have a voice for um, people that are struggling, as well as myself, who still struggle, um, but have kind of come out the other side of it. Um, so I'm 38 years of age. Um, I live in Mead, but I'm from Dublin. So... I've been battling addiction for 20 years and in the last kind of 10 years I've been battling both mental health and um, addiction problems. So that's basically, yeah. And um, Brendan, could you kind of give us an overview of your substance abuse history and how you got into drugs? Yeah, so when I was 14, um, the dance scene was very popular and wanting to be a DJ at that age, I fell very quickly into the ecstasy scene. Um, kind of handed to me one night in a nightclub. I was under 18. I was under 18, but I was in an over 18s nightclub and it, the, the ecstasy was put in my hand and I was like, try this. So I suffered with chronic anxiety as a kid through a lot of trauma and it was just like an, an escape into a new world. So I felt no anxiety. I felt safe. I felt secure. I felt this bubble of warmness. That's the only way I can describe it at that age so I thought well this is an answer like I couldn't I couldn't voice my my problems as a kid I couldn't talk to family because it was unheard of you know you didn't you didn't speak out in the 80s you didn't you know let people know you were struggling so between struggling with food problems and eat I couldn't eat as a kid because of anxiety so when I was 14 I was introduced to drugs it, it was an escape at the time I didn't see it as anything else as a danger it was more well this is making me feel good so I'll go with this so that kind of lasted up till I was about 17, 18. And I was introduced into cocaine. And that's when it kind of spiraled into a dependency. Um, it went from a, a once a week kind of thing, a club scene, um, socially accepted nearly, to having my 21st birthday and being nine stone in weight as a six foot, a six foot height uh, man. Like I was nine stone, so I was extremely thin. But back then, again, there was no like, 
Brendan doesn't look okay here. It was like celebrates his twenty first. So um that rolled on for about another year until I first seek treatment. And again, I didn't see the seriousness of it. I couldn't see an issue. I thought, well, I'm working, I manage a shop, you know, I'm doing well in life. I have a mortgage. What's the issue? I don't have a problem. But I went with the family kind of concerns. I went in for what I seen as a holiday for six weeks to put a bit of weight on to feel good of myself. But while I was in that treatment center, I got introduced to heroin. Um, I got schooled on heroin and how it would take away depression, how it would take away anxiety, how I felt that as a human being it would escape from that. So I left one treatment center with one problem and left the treatment center with another problem. So in around 22, 23, I was in the spiral of a heroin addiction. Um, again, hiding all this from people, not knowing um, I had a really bad problem, couldn't couldn't identify with it, couldn't see the struggles. My pockets were, were being bled by it, but I was working. So again, it was like, well, Brennan's working away. He goes to work with a shirt and tie. He's, he's, he's doing well. But unfortunately, I was falling asunder inside. Um, my, mor- my morals started to slip. Um, I started doing things I said I'd never do. Um, being deceitful, stealing from family. Um, you know, just just lo- losing all kind of morals that I that I and principles that I had growing up as a young adult that I thought you know things I I swore I'd never do. I start slowly doing, and that went up till my late twenties, early you know coming into thirties and. Between then, crack cocaine had come onto the scene in Dublin, and I was hooked straight away. Like, I just, that was like, for me, as I don't like glorifying drugs, I hate that even even, to, even using the name of a certain drug, I, I prefer to say substance, but in this case, I will name them. Um, but crack cocaine was, was, for me, it was an escape through beyond. Like, that was where I went to heaven and back nearly. And that's that's the only way I can describe it. But that that was very short-lived. It became a monster of an addiction within, I'd say, two months. I was extremely, you know, I was unemployed then. I was really in the de- the bells of addiction. Um, again, like I was, morals gone out the window. They, I've heard the term, you'd step over your own child to get to a drug. And again, I've done that. So um, up until my mid-30s, again, through many treatment centers as well, I was really struggling. I was... Um, abusing heroin, crack cocaine. I was I was first then introduced to injecting cocaine and heroin at about 33 years of age. And I against things I swore I'd never do, I done it. And I swore I'd never touch a needle, you know, the, the, the whole terminology of the word junkie, which I despise. But that was the stigma you were, you know, I was the one in the in the family that had a problem. Not my my other peers that were, you know, going out every Friday night and doing drugs, but going to work Monday morning. Because I had touched one certain substance, I was I was don't go near Brandon. You know he's 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 strung out. So I so, I soonly realized that family weren't really my inner family was supportive, but the people that I thought I had friendships with and you know this like cousins and stuff like that just didn't want to know me. And when I look back now, I didn't want to know myself back then. Um, I was a really bad person. Um, I. I was just I was lost in society really, you know, that you know, the, you think of a drug addict walking the streets in the cold, you know, I had episodes of that where I'd no money. I was like, How do I get my next fix? Because with heroin, it's like you need that drug every day and it's not to get a, a, a kick out of it's just to keep you, you know, from going through withdrawals. That's all it does for you. It just makes you feel a lot, you know, normal for a day. That's all you get out of it. You don't get this extra high anymore. It becomes 
I need this just to stay well, to stop my body going through withdrawals. So that lasted up till, say, 2018. So it was 34, going on 35, and I went back into treatment. I dealt with a lot of traumatic issues. I dealt with a lot of stuff. Um, but again, I, it was said in meetings and, and, and through counselling that you haven't kind of hit, do you think you've hit a rock bottom? I thought I had many times throughout my addiction, but obviously I didn't because I ended up going back using again. Um, I would get sobriety for a couple of months and then it'd be back to square one. Every time I stopped using my supports, I'd go straight back into addiction. So say going into 2019, I was back in treatment again and I swore that was it. I was, I was done. You know, the war was over and I got back introduced to cocaine, injecting it. And I spent the whole lot of 2019 up till November 2020 really really heavily injecting cocaine and heroin to the point where i was officially dead for six minutes in 2020 and then sorry 2019 and then 2020 again i was found on the on the ground in in, in a place in dublin um at two o'clock in the morning after overdosing heroin again and as i was being put into the ambulance the ambulance man told my cousin he's gone so he rang my family and you know, you need to contact Brennan's parents. He's dead. But I got, they actually revived me in the hospital when I got back to the hospital. So, but when I look back on that, it was like, I knew the consequence at the time as I was doing it, but I had no issue with it. I, I thought, well, if I, if I die, I didn't really care at the time because I was so sick of being sick. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, But that woke me up as well. When I got out of the hospital that day, I, I thought I have to sort this issue out. So I slowly but surely got back into supports. I got went back on my uh, med, antipsychotic medication, and I stopped illegal drug use in December twenty twenty. And since then, I've been just going through the motions of rebuilding my life. I'm in college now. I work, um, but it's still hard. Like this addiction is is so so scary when, and there's just not enough awareness. So. But where I'm at, I'm in a good place right now. But again, it's a it's a daily battle. I still, you know, still I wake up and sometimes I get anxiety thinking about the things I've done to my body, and I think I'd never want to do that again. And I've I don't know whether it's a new beginning for me, but I genuinely feel I've I've come out to the other side of addiction. But it's again, it's a daily battle. I I I battle with it every day. Thank you so much, Brennan. Um, that's. Uh intense and thank you for sharing that um as it's 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 very like it, it's very typical of i i i guess uh drug abuse the what you talk about about mental health issues and, and childhood trauma and um something that is rarely mentioned is that for most people especially people battling with some issues getting drugs is an escape as well they will probably need um prescription drugs to, to to help with those issues and they don't and they get the illegal drugs and that feels good and yeah. it feels like a break it feels like an escape and so people keep looking for it the problem is that it gets you know it harms in the end it harms more than it would help um i have a question about something you mentioned you mentioned that you went into a treatment center yeah and you came out of it 
having tried and getting addicted to heroin. Yeah. So did you yeah. get introduced to heroin in a in a treatment center? I did. I got introduced. It turned out that three of the guys out of the group were actually smoking it. They were taking turns in the bathroom. They were they were actually running the bat and pretending they were having a bat. But the next morning, it was it was so noticeable that they were on it. They were half asleep on the chair that they were all discharged from the, the treatment centre. But unfortunately, for the two-week period leading up to that, um, the, the way they the treat them using in the treatment centre, they, they had schooled me on heroin. They had told me how to use it, what way to, you know, the methods of how to use it. And they told me the so-called benefits of heroin and what would it do for me as, a, you know, how, how it would help me out because I struggled and I probably did from a young age with what I now know is probably mental health issues and, and especially anxiety and depression. I struggled with that all through my, my teenage years. So this felt like a, new, a rude, they didn't mention the, the negative side of heroin, which I still get angry about at times thinking back, like there was no handbook about, by the way, in six weeks time, you're going to be extremely addicted to this where it's going to control your life. There was none of that. It was, oh, this is cool. It's great. It's this, it's that. And these were supposed to be, like like me, me as well, they were supposed to be in recovery. But unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of that goes on. There's a lot of negative talking goes on. And I fell into that trap as a 20-year-old. I kind of didn't know much more. I was going on 21. I just had a daughter. I just had a mortgage. I had a lot of stress. But I thought, wow, this actually sounds very interesting. Like, there's no... I kind of knew the, the bad parts of it, but I hadn't got enough education on it. And I think that's another area to talk about was there's not a lot of information going around, as, as especially for me and anyway, in my experience going through secondary school, there was no talks about drugs. There was, there was just say no to drugs. That was kind of, or it won't happen to me type of policy. But um, yeah, so 2004, I got introduced to heroin and that's when everything just changed. So I, be, I became a, a different person completely. Um, I was so upbeat as a teenager I was so funny I loved you know taking skits out of Jim Carrey's movies and I'd always be you know fun and you know I didn't really drink I was just more into the the kind of happy scene and be happy and but I became an, a really bad person when I when I got introduced to heroin yeah thanks so much Brendan for sharing that with us um it I'm sure it does resonate with a lot of people the escapism and just looking for a way out. Um, so throughout your story about your drug, um, about your drug taking, you seem to, so you had ecstasy, then cocaine, then heroin. Did you develop tolerance to these drugs? I did. From the ages of 17 and 18, because I was, I was earning such a good wage at that age, I would, reg I would use cocaine probably every day. And that went on for about three or four years until the heroin came on the scene. Um, and that's when I when I got physically addicted to heroin, the cocaine was put aside. It was like, well, this is my priority now. I have to have 20 euro waking up in the morning to get a bag of heroin. And again, not to have a, 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 an elation from it. It was just to feel not, 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 um, not, my body wasn't going through withdrawals. So when I woke, when every morning I woke up, the first thing that happened is my body started going through withdrawals because my body needed that substance. So the, the, the rule was I had to have that money waking up. So because I was working at the time and I, I did hide it very well, I was able to afford the drug. But slowly but surely, the tolerance went up and up and up. So I went from being a 20-year-a-day habit to some days being an 80-year-a-day habit. 
So um, that's when a lot of negative stuff start happening in my life, how to make money and what ways to make it. Mm-hmm. And could you tell us a bit, obviously addiction is a disease and there are symptoms particularly. Yeah, it, it's, addiction, for me, and the, my experience with addiction is addiction is so powerful and it's it's in many literature and stuff. It's so cunning that it, it it's like there's two wolves on the shoulder. I've heard this being mentioned before that there's a white wolf and a black wolf and if you feed one wolf more than the other, the other's going to go hungry. And addiction is a beast. Like, it really is so scary. Um, and uh, I'm sure anyone that, that's, that can identify with this would know. There's no... There's no it, once you get into that zone of addiction, it's very hard to step back from it because it's totally controlled your life. It takes over everything. I couldn't go to certain jobs because I had to, you know, use drugs at nine o'clock in the morning. So I'd, I'd have to go in late into work and... And it is a disease, and there's no, there's no known cure, as they say. It's, but again, only in in recent years has there been a lot of research done and a lot of understanding done around addiction. But for me, I know mine came, mine stems back from early childhood. A hundred percent, it does, um, to to block out how I felt. So, in many ways, I used to say it was my best friend, but it was also my worst enemy. So it was like a, a dual kind of problem. You know, when you were using the drug, it was so good to you and it would treat you well, you know, so you thought, you thought, this is, this is grand, you know, I'm managing my life here. But when you didn't have it, that's when it became a really bad problem. You know, you would, you know, you're watching your shoulder all the time. It's, 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 it's not pleasant, but, um, and I know it's for life. That's, that's, that's my understanding of it now. I've been 38 years of age and have a 20, over 20 years experience with addiction. I know I'll battle this for the rest of my life. Now, I've known it gets easier. The compulsion to use drugs gets easier. I don't sit and think about drugs any like as much as I would have before. There is days when I do, but it's a negative um, thought. I don't sit and, and glorify it in my mind. I actually sit and get anxiety thinking about how much I actually despise you know, the drug scene and the drug world. And you know the quote-unquote social drug takers that can go out on a Friday and Saturday night well, their day will come. That's that's the scary part. You know, they will get away for so long doing that. But eventually addiction is so cunning that it will, it will catch anybody. It doesn't matter. It has no boundaries, addiction. It doesn't have any morals. It's no, there's no postcode for addiction. There's no, it happens every walk of life. And so it's, you know, I was brought up in a family where it was very anti-drugs, but there was addiction in my family, but it was taught very anti-drugs. And yeah, I fell into it so young. So it's, 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 it's madness. It really is. It's, it's so, um, it is so cunning that, but I know deep down the addiction in my mind just wants me dead. It just wants to, you know, it wants my, it wants to take your life. That's, that's basically the only way I can describe it. It's that, it's that severe. There's no, there's no chalking it up and, you know, putting, putting addiction on a pedestal. It's, it's a demon. Like it really is. Mm. You. Can I can I ask you something about the treatments? I was just wondering, it's like you've gone through a, uh, a good few courses of treatment, yeah. and uh, I um how did you how did you manage to get yourself in them, and what was their approach like with the mix, uh, some kind of alternative prescription so, drugs? On yeah, did so, they inform you? Did they do psychotherapy? Did they teach yes. tolerance, distress tolerance skills? What did they do? So different treatment centers have different models that they work on. Um, 
some are based in the USA type of models. Some of them are, you know, some are religious models. Some of them are, well, in the experience I have, I've had, and um, some of them are trauma based. And that's when I start seeing success. When I went to one particular treatment center, um, who I still keep hold hold close to my to my heart because they've they they were there for me on three different occasions through a ten year period, and they were extremely supportive. And they worked with me and worked with me and worked with me. And no matter how many times I slipped up, they were always still there for me. And I owe a lot of that to that that particular treatment center because. They never gave up on the person I was. They seen the goodness in me, but they also seen the trauma and they knew that, you know, a lot of it was was based on 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 my you know, persona and my 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 being. That it wasn't um, you know, oh I was just selected to be an addict. It was it, it was a disease, you know, and, and they they helped me also like so basically the end of 20, 2019, when I was last in that treatment center. I still took lessons from that treatment center all through that year of 2020. So it took staying with the supports as much as I could through COVID. It was very hard, but they were there for me through the phone calls. Um, I started getting a bit through Zoom. And then I went on to obviously see my doctor every week who, who was by phone. So I'd have a, a 45 minute consultation over the phone. So I started slowly getting back back into, Mrs., into my, into my, um, my uh, sorry, my, support system sorry yeah and i got back in support with another treatment center that were extremely good to me as well that i was i visited once before and i'm still currently in, in uh, I, I go to that that particular treatment center to a counseling session every week and i've been doing that for the last year for the last 11 months and that's extremely helpful it's it's that's another trauma-based treatment center but i think that's that that was the key issue i think missing for me was I had never experienced the trauma-based module of how they, they deal with, um, you know, anxiety and trauma and fear and um, abuse and stuff like that. So that that's where it, where it struck struck a chord with me. That's how I kind of seen, well, they're hitting the nail on the head here. I just had to get a grip on my my own kind of, they could only do so much for me. It was up to me then to put the, the action in. And that's what I failed on a couple of occasions to do. I thought I knew what I was talking about and doing I was attending certain meetings every week, but the problem was I was still, I didn't know who I was inside. So it took me a while to figure that out. And I think that's, that's where I'm at now is where I know where I'm at as a human. I know where I want to be in life. And my life is, is spiraling into nothing but greatness at the moment. And I put that down to the last, so the last two, the, the last two uh, treatment centers that have were, were, were good enough to take me in and, you know, really work with me. And as I said, currently I'm still working with one of those treatment centers every week, and it's it's great. It's something I look forward to doing every week. I get to talk about. I can talk about the weather. I can talk about whatever I want, but I don't. I use it for if I'm struggling and if I'm having bad days. But also, I'd say at this rate, it's about seventy percent, seventy five percent of the time I go there, it's a positive day. We talk about the good things in life, and we're going past the trauma now. We're going into, you know where I am as a human being and where I am in this world, because I didn't see a place in this world for, for, a, for a long time. I thought I was just another statistic that was going to die a drug addict. But after having those two, two fatal, near fatal, sorry, overdoses, I have a zest for life now. I want to, I'm getting, I'm at the rebuilding, you know, so much with my family. I have my nieces and nephew back in my life. It's, and they're proud of me now. And, you know, that's stuff I, I never had, you know, they, 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 they didn't want to know that person I was. And I, I couldn't blame them because, when I look back, I didn't want to know that person. 
Um, I was a very, a very uncomfortable person to be around. You know, you didn't know what way you were, I was going to be. You know, on a certain day, but now it's like I ha I'm living again. I'm part of society. I'm paying taxes. I, I feel like I feel part of what I should have been part of a long time ago. But again, that's lessons. That's life. That's where my life has taken me, and that's that's where. I don't dwell on the past and, and the pity me buzz and, you know, poor me. This, it's not about that. It's about looking at your past mistakes and how you can correct them and rebuild your life and move forward. So that's what I work on on a weekly basis. And I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not clear by any way of, of the, you know, being clean. I'm not, I'm not, not clear from that by any stretch of the mile. It's a daily battle. It can, you know, tomorrow can be a horrible day for all I know, but I keep it in the day. You know, and that's the way I walk now. I don't, I don't um, overplan things because I stay away from pubs and clubs, and you know, and I'm happy. I'm happy doing my, my bit of college and my 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 um my work life. So, yeah, it's the treatments were, were were crucial, but again, it has to be. You have to be ready, and and you have to have really listen. You have to listen carefully in these treatment centres because if you go in with the attitude of I know it all and. You know, I use this particular drug for this amount of time and you haven't, you're not an addict. That's where you fail. And I think, um, unfortunately, there's not enough supports out there. There really isn't. You went through the statistics, Eva, there for a brief at the at the start. The statistics are horrendous out there. And I know of, of probably 15 uh, methadone uh, detox beds that are in this country. That's scandalous for the amount of people that are, are struggling. You know, it's... But again, if you reach out and stay with the, the, sometimes the waiting list can be long, but if you stay with the waiting list, you will get there. And it happens nearly out of the blue. You're not expecting it. You know, you're getting frustrated thinking, I haven't had a call. And all of a sudden your phone rings and they have a bed for you. And if, if I, again, on hindsight, if I could look back and think maybe 15 years ago, if I had, I had a better attitude, I would have been, you know, but the way I look at it is age was a crucial factor for me as well. I had to really go through all this life, life, life obstacles to get where I am now because at 20, when I first went to the treatment, I was still immature. They say when you use drugs, your mind goes back to that age. You know, you stay in that age and your brain stays in that age kind of bracket. So you're, you're immature nearly through your addiction. And they, so I've, I've heard this in treatment centers that, you know, if you're 14, you start using when your brain's trapped is trapped in that 14 year old's mind because it's not getting to develop. So it took me a long time to learn, um, and I still learn. Thank you, Bernard. Uh, so much of what you say uh, has so many things in common with any other mental health disorder and psychiatric disorder, which yeah. is, uh, it's staggering and it's very. I'm very very grateful. I think we both are very very grateful that you mentioned all those things. And especially the piece about having to get the right type of support. It's not just about getting detox. It's also, uh, you know, to withdraw is not enough to get out of the addiction. Well, you need, they, they say you need to work through the trauma and you need to work through yeah. the issues that caused the addiction in the first place and how to tolerate distress in life without having to need something to get out of. But I was just wondering, uh, you mentioned that there were some treatments that were not as effective while others were. How do you access? How can you, you know, so, if you were talking to somebody that ha that is listening to the podcast right now and is recognizing I have a problem, how do they access the right treatment? Well, if, it, okay, so for me, knowing that I had core issues, if, if you have those core issues and you know you're hiding, you know, 
your feelings and your emotions through a drug, you're you're suppressing them. Um, I would be looking. I don't know if it's okay to start naming treatment centres, but I know for the, for me in any way the two the two the last two I've I, I've accessed just suited me, uh, my particular need of. But if it's if it's someone that's listening and they're going through a trauma, they've had trauma sorry in their lives. I would be reaching out to trauma based facilities, and if you look up, you know. If you look up the amount of treatment centres that are in Ireland, there's not a hell of a lot. But the ones that are there, um, say out of five I know, two of them are, are definitely trauma based. Others are more, um, you know, more. Well, one is religious based, and that's to me is scary. You're 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 forced to go to mass once a day for seven days, and you have to get on your hands and knees at nine in the morning. That no, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking that. That works for some people, but for me for my problems I needed to it took me time like I used to say I'm a failure this is not working I can't stay clean but I didn't actually think of well what did I just go through for 16 weeks you know for me I have my own faith it's not religious but I have my own faith and that's you can't force someone into 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 believing that this is going to keep them clean and that's that's what I I feel this country lacks um but the trauma for me, um, if if you're struggling with that, reach out and a trauma-based treatment centre for me was the key. Um, I got to. It took me a few times to get it because I had so much to work on, and there's only so much I, I would trust a person with. So I used to haul back a bit in treatment. I wouldn't give it, give my whole kind of history. I'd I'd stop and I'd give I'd give a bit of it until I felt my emotions weren't getting to me. If I felt like I was going to get upset, I'd stop. Um, and that's where I went wrong. So the last time I was there, I just if I got upset that day, I'd I'd let myself cry, I'd let myself feel the the emotions, and that that helped me dearly because I was able to I was able to come out to the other side of it and say, Do you know what, that was worth talking about, and that was worth getting off my chest. And it's not you know because you do get brought back to that age and that scene, that's you know that 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 time, and you feel kind of those feelings all over again. But it's worth if you feel comfortable around somebody. I wouldn't necessarily be sitting in a group of people, you know, going through trauma with them because, you know, you can feel very uneasy and uncomfortable. Are you being judged? Are people kind of sniggering behind your, you know, in their mind? Are they kind of going, well, I've never experienced that. So you have to be very careful what way you approach trauma. Um, I do believe one-to-ones are extremely helpful. Um, I had a, I'll give you one little quick example. I had a counselor when I was 17 and I went into him one day and he says, oh, you're Philip, you have the heroin addiction. And I just looked at him and says, what am I paying 80 euro a half an hour here for? You don't even know my name. So I got up and walked out and that was after seven sessions. So again, it's, it's, it's about, for me, it's about trust. For, that's how I, I got through um, the really hard part of my, my um, emotions was getting through through the last two treatment centers I was with. They, they opened up the doors for me to feel comfortable, for me to not. And then I got comfortable around group settings to talk about my traumas, to talk about my feelings, to talk about... Um, my my past relationships and and yeah, and stuff like that. So, yeah, just there is help out there. Um, it's just not highlighted enough, to be honest. Um, I don't know why. I'm I'm actually still kind of confused around that topic. Why there's not enough? Um, you know, not enough knowledge out there for people. Like I mean, I I I I won't even go into the city centre at times because it's sad. I walk around and I know because I've been there and I know what it's like, and it it upsets me at times because I think. There is treatment there, but again, it's how it's how you access it and, and actually do you want it. That's another thing. You have to kind of want treatment.
And Brendan, as you say, um, the right treatment as well. Like there's no point going to a doctor, paying him and him calling you the wrong name then. And access to this treatment, um, is it free? Is it government funded? Yeah, well, the the religious kind of treatment centre was 130 a week. Um, so you got social welfare payment because you weren't working, obviously. Um, and they used to take 130 for your bed. So that's the way that worked. And, and you were limited to the amount of cigarettes you could buy. So it was very, it was like a prison. That's No, I've never been in prison, but it was like a prison. Um, they, you were locked into this facility, basically, and you couldn't leave. You couldn't go out onto the grounds and walk around. So, and yeah, the alcohol unit was separate to it, and you could walk around the grounds there. You could do whatever you wanted there. They didn't identify that alcohol was a drug. They, they just thought, no, alcohol separate, you know, people can have their points and they can get, but it was crazy. Like there was people going out into the town for an hour to collect their money and they'd come back with a bottle of vodka and go into their room and drink it. And we'd see them, they'd be falling around the yard. But we were in the, we were in a, a fence facility that you weren't allowed to leave. You had, you were allowed 10 cigarettes a day and you had to pray at five o'clock, half five in the morning and then go to mass that day. And then you were on potato fields picking potatoes all day. That's not treatment, but that's, that's what I, I done it out of, it was like I, I was doing it to sue people. Okay, I'll do it for this reason. I'll do it for that reason. I'll do it because they're on me back. I'll do it for their, you know, I might have had a court, a court appearance coming up. I'll do it for that, that, that reason. But it wasn't until I experienced a trauma-based facility that I realized this is, this is working. It did take me a few attempts because I'd hold back on how much I tell them. I didn't want to be an open book and feel raw after it because that's what happens when you talk about your emotions. You do, you walk away feeling really raw because your emotions are still open. So it took me a bit of time and a bit of one-to-one counseling. And, but again, with me, it was trust. I was very, very, very selective who I trust. And again, that's how I was brought up. So I, you know, for, I'd have to nearly read that person before they could read me in order to feel trustworthy around them to tell them things. But again, the, the, the second time in the facility that, that I highlight that I was talking about, I felt comfortable. I was t- I'd tell them anything. So, Brendan, if I may, how did you access that facility? Was it free? How did you manage to get into so that the, facility that was good? That facility is a, it's a trust, and it's they have they have a, a building on the, on Berkeley Street, which is well known. And I, I don't even have to name the treatment center because I've given away the name, the address, so that people know if people are listening, they'll know the treatment center I'm talking about. But you can go in, they set you up with a, a one-to-one um, a kind of an, an application process to, to go through. Um, they're extremely well-organized. Well um, they identify if, if you really have issues, you have struggles. And even I've seen lads that only had, you know, I've seen lads that were cannabis smokers going in and coming out and doing brilliant, never touching cannabis again, well up till now, not touching cannabis again. So they, 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 they deal with cannabis addiction, cocaine addiction, heroin addiction, alcohol, and you have to be clean from benzos, diazepine going into the facility. And that, that was, that was um, so there was no cost going into it, but what they done was they took uh, 80 euro of your money every week. And I mean, that was for the best of food, the best of treatment, the best of counselors, and the best of aftercare. And you also went into what was called a drug-free house after it where there was no cost involved. You could, actually, there was a 50 euro rent a week, but they never asked for it. It was, it was kind of, if you wanted to contribute, you could, you know, if you didn't have it, they understood. Um, and they, they're still one of the, the reasons why I, 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 I still learn today because, and I still am in communications with them. 
Um, the second treatment centre I'm talking about is in the Phoenix Park, and they were absolutely amazing. And that's who I still who I deal with every week. They were free. They run by the HSC, and they're probably the best in the country at dealing with trauma. Um, they deal with anxiety. They deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. That's another big one that, that I was told I had from a psychiatrist that I struggled, that, that I, was, I was told I had PTSD and a bipolar disorder. And um, obviously I've had psychosis numerous times through, drug, through cocaine use. So, but that, that, that facility in the Phoenix Park was absolutely brilliant. Um, and I still go to them every week. And, and I, the funny thing is, I, the last time I was with them was 2017 and they're still here for me today. So that's what I'm talking about, about a good support system a good aftercare system, um, and they 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 were free. You, I'm sure you log on onto their website, and they there's an application process that way. Um, but currently through COVID, they're still not back open yet, so they're still shut. But um, the facility on Berkeley Street in Fisborough, they're 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 back opened, and um, for me the waiting list was about the longest I had to wait was about eight weeks to ten weeks to get into the facility. Um, so it's. For such a small um, organization, they go through they, they they do go through the numbers. They help people in, in a lot of numbers. You know, they they got me my little place last year that I had, which it didn't work out. But I moved back to my family home. But um, yeah, look, they, they're people that I, I have highly respect for. You know, they've they kind of they figured out the puzzle that I was missing, the, the jigsaw, if that makes sense. There was a, a few pieces missing, and they've helped me out put them pieces back together. And it kind of makes sense now. Life makes sense. Thank you so much. Um, everything you're saying is highlighting how addiction really is just mental health disorder. And if people were treated correctly from the start, probably we would see a lot less addiction. Yeah. If 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 young people, especially, are you know diagnosed and 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 properly helped with their own mental health issues then we'll have a lot less issues with addiction because people yes. will not need to self-medicate and escape. Yeah, if there's enough awareness out there, Carol, there'll be, there'll be definitely a lot more. The statistics will definitely start to dwindle. Um, I mean, I know the crack, crack cocaine epidemic in this country is just spiraled out of control. Um, it's everywhere. It's It really is everywhere. And um, I feel sorry for the, for, for you know, it used to be says, oh, things, things can only get better, but in addiction, things only get worse. Um, I see that. So for people that are still struggling, I mean, I, I struggle in my other way. In other ways, it's not that I, I don't sit and glorify drugs anymore. And I've got over that part. Um, I don't even talk about drugs when I'm with my father or my friend. I don't, we're, we're, that's, that's, that's all I knew for 20 years was the lingo of drug use. You know, I wasn't a great when I used to do this and wasn't a great when I used to take that. That's gone. I, I, I only talk about real stuff now because that's the only way to move forward. You have to, it's like a trauma getting over drug, a, drug, a drug addiction. It is a trauma because when you're putting needles in your arm, that's body trauma and that's creating trauma straight away to the brain. So, yeah, it's, I just wish there was a lot, a lot more awareness out there. That's, that's one thing I, I'd love to, to see highlighted in the country a bit more awareness, not a bit, a, a lot more awareness. That's what. Um, that's what we'd like to see as well, Brendan, and hopefully people will listen to this podcast and will raise some awareness because as we know, there is such a stigma surrounding addiction and substance abuse. 
and recovering addicts. So what else do you think we can do to try to eliminate this stigma and raise awareness? Well, they say, you know, a high percentage of, of addicts start well, start off when they're young and, they, you know, they might start smoking cannabis and, and, and that leads, like, I've heard people, you know, say, oh, I smoke a bit of weed, that's it, I'd never touch anything else. And you meet them two years later and they're strung out on heroin. Yeah, heard it's called the gateway drug. Yeah, it's a, there is a standpoint and there is people that, that have only one, one substance problem throughout their life. It's still a substance, it's still an addiction. You know, they can minimize it and say, no, it's only this, it's only that. And that's, that's giving power to the addiction. That's the addiction talking. That's, if you get to the reality of it, you're spending 100 quid a week on weed, there's an issue. Or you're spending 80 quid a week on vodka, it's an issue. And then, into, you know, so, and the other drugs, we can go on and on and on. But for me, I'd love to see a bit more awareness in schools. Um, you know, starting off, I, I used to do talks for transition years, but I'd never go into trauma with them I'd, in case there was someone, being, someone in the room affected by that. Um, I would I would just kind of give them a brief rundown on drug use and where it leads to and what what happens in the in the midst of, of a bad of bad drug addiction where your morals go and what you do to get your drugs so I think a bit more real talk and stop you know the, the government will announce where well, we're hoping to get an extra 20 beds by the end of the, whatever year and that's only you know I, I remember in, in the one treatment center the minister of health came down or the minister for, for drugs came down and, and he wanted to talk to us and all they kept going on about was do you know this certain gangster or do you know that certain gangline figure and we were sitting there in the treatment centre going we're in here trying to get treatment and user asked us do we know gangsters and it was a weird this has gone back to 2004 so it was very strange to hear that but um, sorry 27 though 2007 but for me in any way yeah I'd love to see a bit more awareness um, from a young age and I think to be honest it's getting there now. Addiction is getting a bit more highlighted. It is more highlighted. Social media platforms. You have a lot going on now where people are, are telling their stories. There's, there's, there's um, fellowships that you can join. But it's scary to see still, in, in, in especially this, in, in the city centre, like when you walk on certain parts of the city centre, and you, it's rampant. You, you see them. And some people will just say it's their own fault, they're lost, this and that. But... I believe everyone is good, has goodness and badness in them, but it's, I, I believe, for me, addiction brought out the badness in me, where I know I'm a good person, and that's coming, to, I'm shining on that right now, where I'm getting on my life, and things are working out. If you put the effort in, in, in recovery, you'll get the rewards. So, but you have to want it, you have to be willing to, to, to get help. You know, it's, it's not help won't come to your door, unless you're special, and your family has a lot of money to put to a treatment centre and get you clean, but, that doesn't work either. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's great, um, Brendan, you're 11 months sober now and you are getting on so well. Um, how is your life now? You mentioned a job and college. Yeah, things are going great. I'm doing a pre-university arts and culture course. I work on part-time as well. Um, I just feel alive again. I mean, that took me, that took me the last 11 months to rebuild. Um, to rebuild my life and, and it wasn't easy it was you know I had challenges I kind of self-confidence was, wasn't was wasn't there really and I had to kind of through my weekly counselling I, I work on, on working on getting myself you know I always questioned where do I fit in this world am I just going to be a waster and be a, a statistic at the end of it but now I know I'm not now I know I feel the real me again and um, my personality's coming back I 
my confidence is coming back um, and ho- hopefully I'll get into a relationship one day and you know get 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 back my life that I know I can't have um, I had it for spells throughout the years but there was no longevity so I'm not counting my chickens yet I, I, I do it as a daily it's a daily um, like a, a daily reprieve if that's the right word to use I, I, I wake up in the morning I'm thankful I'm grateful I'm humble I have I have qualities again that that and an awareness of it. I I could write a book on addiction now at this stage. I've I've that much uh, experience on it in, in terms, but that you can have too much of that as well in addiction. You can know the terminologies and the link the linguistics of it, but it's actually putting the the hard work in to stay clean is is the tricky part. So, you know, I've met lads that were in early recovery that were jumping into addiction studies courses, and all. that's great. But you what happens with that is you learn a lot of of, of the. The, the lingo and then you relapse three months later so and that that does happen in early recovery relapsing is a huge part of early recovery so it's how you for me it was I had to just to, to, not, to be honest with you the COVID has has helped me greatly because I've had to isolate I haven't like especially last year I wasn't able to move around and say say to my family oh I just have to go somewhere I'll be back in an hour and I'll be going to use drugs so it's helped me along the way and it's been a negative in other ways as well but just in terms of my recovery, it's helped me um, get grounded again, look, take a look at myself, sit with myself, sit with my own feelings. And again, I picked back up 11 months ago my uh, weekly uh, counseling session. And that's that's amazing for me. I, I have an hour every week where I go in and I can talk about anything. And I I feel like there's someone there still supporting me. And I also see a doctor every couple of weeks. My psychiatrist, she's amazing. She She's... She's the reason why I know I'm clean, that's being honest, because she's been there and has has helped me so many times when I've had psychosis and, you know, hospital experience and stuff like that. So I but that's the mental health side of things as well. And that runs it definitely runs neck and neck with addiction. Um yeah. But and life is good, yeah. Uh, as you as you mentioned, it 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 takes it takes a team of people. It takes it takes support. It and it takes the yeah. social network support. And I I was just wondering, Brandon, what is, what is the plan now? What plan are you being given? Are you being given continued psychological and psychiatric support? Are yeah. you being given talk therapy? Do you get prescription drugs to help with mental health issues? Yes. Are you are you gonna be followed for a long time? Yeah, well this this is for me this is early recovery. Eleven months is is a very short time in in, um, in the addiction world to to be clean. For me it's a huge milestone milestone because it's the longest I've ever been without being in an everyday active addiction in the 20 years. So it's massive for me. It's a great achievement for me. But yes, does I, I, I am on prescription drugs um to, to with psychosis to, to help with the, the the PTSD and to help with the anxiety. Um but they're crucial because every time I'd stop them, everything will come back. The the anxiety, the I'd I'd slip into psychosis very quick from doing cocaine and, and especially crack cocaine. So I came to the realization that this is for now it's the way forward. And we're we're talking this is not going to be for life with the medications, but it has to work for now. So I'm blending. Thank God they don't make me sedated or anything like that. I just, I think I've burned out that that part of my brain where I get sedated from a drug now because, and, and that helps me because I, I don't, I can still go into college. I got five distinctions in my last five assignments. So um, 
that's been amazing for me because I, I, I thought I was brainless. I didn't think I had much to give. So, um, but yeah, certainly supports are key. If you have supports, latch onto them, like really use them because they're there to help. They want to see you. I know my support system wants to see me succeed in this life. They don't want to see me fall. They don't want to see me coming back and saying, well, I'm back putting needles in my arms and, and I, you know, another, I know if I use again, the reality is it's death. That's, that's all I've left, you know, with, with addiction. With, I, I, you can't get away with it for too long. It catches up on everybody. And you know, the statistics are out there. The amount of people that die from addiction every year. Um, so I know I will be that one of those statistics if, if I'm not careful. So that's, that keeps you on my toes. That keeps me wanting to have a good life. And I got my first payslip last night. And it was, it was like winning the lottery, you know. And that's little things like that are huge for me. That's, that's where I get gratitude now. And, and, I, and it, to be a bit humble in life, like, it doesn't take much. Um, if, you're, if you're an egotistical person, the chances are you're not going to succeed. Because um, ego is rampant in addiction. If, you, if, your ego, if your ego gets to you, that's when you normally fall. Um, if you're not, if you don't have... The basic, you know, being humble and grateful, and um, they're they're not. It's not much to, to learn, but if you can master kind of them two things, you you will do well. Well, for me, and anyway, I've I've done well from them. Thank you so much, Brendan. That was that was so good, and thank you for sharing your experience so freely with us. Uh, one of the main objectives that we have at Ulysses Neuroscience is giving voice to people with lived experiences of the issues we talk about and that can contribute so so we can contribute to awareness and advocacy uh, I really really loved this opportunity to shed some light on such a misunderstood condition which yeah. affects so many people and it has such a strong impact on society and I think it's really really important that us as a neuroscience company highlight the fact that addiction is indeed a brain disorder and not you know just a matter of you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and, bootstraps and uh, getting sober because it's not that simple. It's not that simple, no. It's, it, so thank it, you it is, so, so much. Thanks, Carol. And uh, thank you, Eva, as well, for co-hosting. I completely forgot, but I would like to say that anyone struggling with addiction, please get in contact with the HSE Drug and Alcohol Helpline on one eight zero zero four five nine four five nine. And uh, you can always talk also to the Samaritans and the Theatre House. And thank you, Carol. And thank you so much, Brendan, for sharing your story. It's been so insightful. I think we've learned a lot. Thanks, Eva. Thanks, Carol.